Good morning. So have you ever felt trapped by circumstances that were beyond your control? Maybe it was a financial loss, or the loss of a job, or an unhealthy relationship you found yourself in, but you couldn't find a way to get out of that relationship. Maybe you or someone you know has suffered from some kind of addiction or a medical crisis or diagnosis that threatens your future. Maybe your, your marriage or another significant relationship has come to an end and you can't really find a way forward. Or, or maybe it's something, maybe something has made you into a victim. Maybe it's you've been the victim of racism or ageism or sexism or abuse. And the list could go on and on. There are far too many things in the world, in, in, our, in, in life, that can kind of step in and try to take over and rob us of the life that God has for us. But there is good news in the gospel of Jesus Christ and in our passage this morning. It comes from 1 John 4, 4, and that is that the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. The one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. That's, that's not a promise that we're always going to be completely free from everything that seeks to control us. It's a promise that in Christ we have the upper hand. In Christ there is, there, there is a, the promise that we have the name that is above every other name. We have all we need to be set free from within, though outwardly our circumstances might not change all that much. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once told the story of a woman named Mother Pollard, an elder in the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama, during the years of the Montgomery bus boycott, 1955 to 1956. And after the boycott had been going on for a few weeks, uh, Dr. King was concerned about Mother Pollard. She was 72 years old, which sounds younger and younger to me every day, to be honest. <clears throat> and um, he was concerned about her, so he said, you know, Mother, you could... You could take the bus every now and then. I'm a little worried about you walking all that distance at your age. And Mother Pollard said to him, Dr. King, my feet is tired, but my soul is rested. My feet is tired, but my soul is rested. See, her outward circumstances hadn't changed. In fact, we could say her outward circumstances had gotten worse. But she found within uh, this strength that she could be set free in a different way. That's what it means to say that the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. There is a freedom that goes beyond our suffering, beyond our pain, beyond our circumstance. There is the promise, at the very least, there is the promise that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In Mark 4, 35-41, Jesus and his disciples get into a boat, sail to the other side of the lake, and they encounter a storm. And they wake up Jesus, and Jesus speaks to the storm and says, quiet, be still, and the storm is stilled. And then they arrive on the other side in, Matthew 5, in, in Mark chapter 5, where Jesus and the disciples encounter a man tormented by unclean spirits that we just heard read. This event takes place on the southeast side of the Sea of Galilee, the region of the Gerasenes. The whole region is decidedly un-Jewish. When Herod the Great died in 4 BC, his lands were divided up between his sons, but no one wanted that section. No one took over that section like they just didn't want it. And in the story we discover there's a herd of swine numbering about 2,000. Pigs were unclean according to Jewish law. And by this time in their history, pigs had become a symbol of everything pagan. Likely because a couple of hundred years before this, King Antiochus Epiphanes attempted to force his Jewish subjects to uh, sacrifice pigs and to eat pork. And so pigs became this symbol. 
No self-respecting Jewish person would be anywhere near so many pigs. And finally, we know from the story that there were tombs nearby as well, where the man with the unclean spirits hid out. And again, for a Jewish person to come into contact with uh, a dead body was to become uh, ritually unclean. So this man who comes to Jesus in Mark 5 has three strikes against him. A lot of pigs, a lot of dead bodies, and to top it all off, he's a Gentile. He's not a Jew. Verse 3, this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot and he tore at the chains. He tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. This man has no control over his own actions. In fact, it appears that no one has control over him. They can't help him and they can't keep him from hurting himself or others. Jesus then commands the spirit to come out of the man. The man falls to his knees, cries out at the top of his lungs, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Jesus asked the spirit's name, to show those who were gathered around that the authority that resided in him was greater than the authority that resided in all of them. The legion of them, which in military terms means about 6,000 soldiers. Now, the, the point is not the exact number, although that would make, you know, about three spirits per pig, I suppose. The point is not the exact number, but the point is to say there are a lot of unclean spirits enslaving this man, and even in that, the power of Jesus was greater. Verse 11. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Jesus gave the spirits permission to go into the pigs in order to demonstrate his authority over them. Without his permission, they go nowhere. Those tending the pigs ran off, and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Now, why were they afraid? Now, we can only guess, but I, I'm thinking if I were there and I knew this situation, I would, at least, uh, I would at least know how to deal with this guy, this garrison demoniac, as we call him. I'm sure it would be a scary thing to run into him in, in a dark alley or on the way to the market, uh, but at least I know where he lives, at least I know what he's capable of, capable of, and at least I know I just need to stay out of his way. I mean, better the devil you know than the devil you don't know, they might have thought. But then Jesus comes along, and he shows that in a sense he is more frightening than even the demoniac. He has more, he has more power. I mean, he just commanded thousands of unclean spirits to do something, and they did it. So those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. On the one hand, this story has been preserved because it tells us something important about Jesus' authority and power and the coming of God's kingdom. Jesus is mightier than the powers of darkness, and we need not fear them. I have met plenty of people in my ministry who fear the demonic. And I want to say, we have power over that. We need not fear it. 
But I also think that one of the reasons this account was preserved for us was that it gives us a picture of what it means for us to be able to say that the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. It gives us a picture of what it looks like to say the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. Now, I don't know about you, but I have not actually had too many run-ins with unclean spirits or demons that I'm aware of. However, this morning as I was walking across the parking lot at 7 a.m., pitch black, only one in the parking lot, I heard a noise. It sounded like a person screaming, just briefly. I looked around, there was nobody. I walked a little further, I heard another noise. Well, then I'm getting a little nervous, because I still see nobody. He screamed out three times before I got to the door. Let's just say I came in the door really fast. (laughs) But as far as I know, I've never actually run into anything demonic. I have heard accounts from the developing world, uh, where, where these things are encountered a little more often. And all of my encounters with the demonic, surprise, surprise, have been in movies. So we run the risk, or we can run the risk of thinking that this incredible story of power and authority and and, and grace and mission has very little to say to us. But it does have something to say to us. Although it may not connect with us in our everyday dealings with the demonic, it does connect with us in other ways, ways all of us can identify with if we just give it some thought. What we are dealing with here is a man who has no control over his life. He is owned, he is controlled, he is enslaved, he is mastered by external forces. He is powerless, he is as restrained as surely as if the chains the people had put on him had held. What things do we have in our lives today that, that we deal with that control and enslave us or those whom we love? What powers and principalities hold us back from our full potential as human beings made in God's image? St. Irenaeus, a second century Greek bishop known for expanding the Christian faith and defending it from heresies, once said this, the glory of God is man fully alive. The glory of God is man fully alive. This was not about self-actualization. It was about finding our life in God. That is, God is glorified when human beings become fully alive in Christ. God is glorified when human beings become fully alive in Christ. God is glorified when we are set free from the things that bind us and enslave us, and we are empowered to live lives that are fully given over to God. Jesus put it this way in John 10.10, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Other translations say abundant life. When we come to Christ Jesus, we place our trust in him. When we learn how to live our lives as Jesus would live our lives if he were us, then we can be set free from all that enslaves us and we can live our lives fully alive. We can experience this abundant life Jesus promised us, even even if our outward circumstances don't change all that much or as much as we'd like. Sometimes our outward circumstances do change, and quite dramatically. But often we must find our hope and our freedom from the one who lives within us in spite of our circumstances, the one who is greater than absolutely anything else the world can throw at us. One of the reasons Jesus allowed the demons to go into the pigs was to show their intent to destroy and to kill those made in God's image, just as they had done to the pigs. What things in our society seek to destroy us or to damage and distort the image of God in us or in the other nearly 8 billion people on the planet? What forces or powers or 
principalities in today's world keep us or our fellow human beings from living life fully alive? It really doesn't take too long to begin that list. The list of things that seek to control us. Drug and alcohol addictions, shame and anger, mental illness when it's not properly treated. We could also list things I mentioned earlier that are done to us or against us. Racism, ageism, sexism. We could talk about abuse. All of these things and more can have a similar impact on us as a legion of unclean spirits had on the man in the passage. And all of these things can have a sense of demonic power over us. What about poverty? I recently heard the story of a woman named Brandy. Her, her story is featured on the podcast, The Hidden Brain, which I've linked in your Bible app live event, and you can follow the instructions on how to get to that if you don't have it. One day when Brandy was in a rush, leaving the office, she had to run by the store and pick up something, and she accidentally used her work, her company credit card, to buy something, I think a, a bag of diapers for her baby. Even though she had never had any problems at work at all, company policy was clear. Immediate termination when you do that sort of thing. And the loss of her job hit her husband and her family hard, and it didn't take long for them to get behind on things. While unable to get another job in order to make ends meet, Brandy got a new credit card with a $500 limit. As soon as it came in, she ran to the Walmart because they'd been so behind on things. She ran to the Walmart and she bought everything that they had been missing that they needed but couldn't afford. And in doing so, she maxed out the credit card with one shopping trip. And in doing this, she never even thought about other things that she and her family needed that were perhaps less pressing or immediate, but still important. Like gas for the car. Or a utility bill that's going to come due in a couple of weeks. The first two months, she said she paid the minimum payment on the credit card bill, but then she just stopped because she couldn't afford it. She, she felt trapped by the debt, and it came down to paying the bills or feeding her family. She met the most immediate need, the one that would get her to the next day. And we know the debt grew. Any of us hearing Brandy's story can probably identify the mistakes she made along the way. And in retrospect, Brandy herself was able to see those mistakes too. See, before this, she had actually been very careful and conscientious. But now she felt enslaved, imprisoned in circumstances that at this point were beyond her control. It was as if she lived in the tombs and she could not find her way out of the cemetery. The loss of her job and the failure to pay off her credit card triggered a scarcity mindset in her. A scarcity mindset. This, this then led her to make choices that helped her cope in the short term, but in the long term <clears throat> caused problems. <clears throat> Studies in brain science show us that, <clears throat> excuse me, that if we struggle with scarcity of this nature or worse, we simply cannot see beyond our immediate needs. We'll let that sink in. Research shows that if we struggle with scarcity of this nature or worse, we simply cannot see beyond immediate needs. It's not that we choose not to, it's quite literally that we can't. Again, I've linked an article from Psychology Today in our Bible app live event on this topic. If we suffer from this scarcity mindset, we obsess over what we need but don't have. This obsession then depletes our cognitive ability, our bandwidth to be able to think about the future and those less pressing but still very important needs. We find it almost impossible, incredibly difficult at least, to think about anything but how to get to the next day or in some cases the next meal. 
The human brain is wired to tunnel in on the things we need but don't have. Water, food, money, relationships, jobs. So Brandy was so focused on meeting her basic immediate needs and the needs of her family that her mind could not consider the longer-term needs. And of course, all along the way, the original problem only got worse. This is referred to as the scarcity trap. Studies show that this kind of thing would affect any of us who suddenly found ourselves without money in a similar situation. We too would feel trapped and make poor choices And while poverty and anger and shame and racism and mental illness are not the demonic activity we see at work in Mark chapter 5, they can still be very demonic in the way that they affect us. They are just as controlling, just as demanding, just as damaging to the image of God within each of us and to our ability to live as those who are fully alive. But the most obvious power that controls us and shapes us and enslaves us is our own sin our own inclination to wander from God's ways. As the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is, we lose our experience of the glorious presence of God when we step off the clear path that he has laid out for us and we wander from it. We step off the way that leads to life and we step into the way that leads to death. We we, like Adam and Eve we, in the Garden of Eden, we give in to the temptation to think that we know better how to live our lives and what's good for us. And then we become enslaved to that temptation. We cannot find a way back. But thanks be to God, the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. And in Christ we can be set free. We can find our way back to the path and into a greater experience of God's glorious presence. And that path leads not only to our experience of God's glory, but also to purpose and partnership with God as well. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. More literally, the man begs Jesus not to go with him, but to be with him. To be with him. Does that sound familiar? Back in Mark chapter 3, when Jesus calls his first disciples, he first calls them that they might be with him. Be with him. Get to know him. That's what this man wants to do. He wants to be with Jesus. He wants to get to know Jesus and learn from him. In the words of our ECC touchstones, he has been welcomed by Jesus. He has been truly transformed by Jesus. And now he wants to continue on this journey toward transformation. He wants to be with Jesus. But Jesus has another ECC touchstone in mind, if I may be so bold. Jesus refuses the man's request. Apparently this man has experienced enough transformation to be sent out on a mission. Jesus tells him simply, go home to your own people, tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. His own people are not just his family and friends, but all of the Gentiles in that region, that ten-city region. The Decapolis in the Gentile region is the ten cities. That's what Decapolis means. It's on the southeast side of the Sea of Galilee. This This is more than a trip home to gather your friends and family together and say, here's my latest religious experience. This is a mission trip. So before we ever meet the Apostle Paul in the biblical story, who will be known as the Apostle to the Gentiles, Jesus sends this man out as an Apostle to the Gentiles. 
And so not only has he been welcomed by Jesus, not only has he been transformed by Jesus, but Jesus also calls him to this touchstone of presence. He is sent into the world to be present to the Gentiles in the ten cities. He is sent out as an agent of change and redemption. By the way, I do want to encourage you to join us again on Wednesday evening for community gatherings where we will have conversations around this particular touchstone. Uh, 5.45 is dinner, 6.30 about is when we start the conversation. We'd love to have you there. We need to have you there. If it is true that, God, that, 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 that in Christ God can and will liberate us from things that enslave us, that the, the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world, how are we to respond to this good news? First, if you have never known the freedom that Christ promises us from sin and judgment, if you have never stepped into the way of becoming more fully human, more fully alive and, and glorifying God, if you have never done this, then today is the day you can take that step, that significant step in that direction. So as we close in song in a moment, I invite you to come down and I would be glad to pray with you. Or you can, as we always ask, make a note on the back of the communication card saying you want to know more about knowing and following Jesus and drop it in the offering plate. We'll get in touch with you. Or if you've already taken that initial step of faith in relationship with God, what other realities and forces constrain you, hold you back, repress you, discourage you, or rob you of the joy that God has for you or the fullness of life that, that will truly bring glory to God, the, the life for which you were created and for which Jesus Christ remade you? What steps do you need to take to move toward that freedom? We can certainly ask others to pray for us. We can admit that we have a need. We can ask for prayer. We can look for other resources. And in my experience, both personally and in terms of ministry, most of us do not experience the kind of immediate deliverance, the dramatic deliverance that the man in Mark 5 experienced. God seems to do most of his best work slowly and deliberately. This is one of the reasons I think that the New Testament will often refer to our salvation as both past, present, and future. We have been saved, we are being saved, we will be saved. All three are true. The journey toward living fully alive is exactly that, a journey that requires faith and support of brothers and sisters and intentionality and discipline. But we journey with the reality that the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. And finally, among whom has God sent you to proclaim what the Lord has done in you? So often we feel that we cannot share our faith with others because we're afraid we, we're not going to have all the answers. We're not going to be able to answer the difficult questions. I think it's a safe bet that the man in Mark 5 didn't have all the answers. He was a Gentile. He spent very little time with Jesus. But Jesus didn't send him out to have all the answers and defend the faith, Jesus sent him out to tell people what the Lord had done for him, how he'd had mercy on him. How can we follow his example? What steps can we take? Why not start with simply taking a few minutes to write out a paragraph or two on just the answer to Jesus' question, what the Lord has done for you? You don't have to have deep theological insights. Just tell your story. And maybe you can even get together with a friend or a family member, and practice telling your story so that it gets easier. There are so many principalities and powers in the world that act toward us and toward God's good creation in a demonic way, enslaving and attacking us and those we love, holding us back from living the fully alive life that brings glory to God. The, 
the life that all of creation longs for us to live. But if by the grace of God we can find that freedom from these things and from within these things, if we can tap into this reality that the one who is in us is greater than the one or the ones who are in the world, the world will take note. The members of your own household will take note. Your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers will take note. And they will be drawn to us and to God's presence in us and among us and through us. And when the moment is right, God will give you the words to invite them into the kingdom of God. And if that's too much for you, just invite them to church. <laughs> invite them into the community. We have these little invites on the welcome counter. So just take a couple with you. You never know. I happen to believe that as important as I think spending time preaching the word and hearing the word is, I don't think that's what draws people to Jesus near as much as the relationships with people who already know Jesus. That's you. Be open to how God might use you to share your faith or at the very least to invite people into fellowship with other people who walk this road. Would you join with me as we close in prayer? God in heaven, we give you thanks for your goodness to us in Christ Jesus, <clears throat> for the example that we have in Mark 5 of the power and authority that reside in you and now resides in us. Lord, we ask that when it comes to facing the evils of this world, those things that we see in the news, those things that are done against us, God, that we would be reminded that you dwell in us and we dwell in you and that you are greater than anything we can come up against in the world. We pray, Lord God, that whatever... Um, challenges or forces might be working against anyone sitting here today that we, we would find the courage and the faith to cry out to you and to trust in your power, your authority, your presence in our lives. And we pray that we would have the courage and the faith to share our story with others. That you would receive all the glory. And God, as we give thanks for this power and authority, for your goodness to us in Jesus, we take time now to worship you by the giving of our tithes and offerings. Help us to do so, Lord, with <clears throat> freedom and joy, with faith and intentionality. And we pray that you would be honored by how we steward over these things. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>